welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Happy New Year to everyone who's listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Wise. Lou, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. What's going on there in Atlanta? Well, we have the same weather, I think, that uh, uh, you have. And that is, well, of course, you're in Florida. Your weather's a little better. New Jersey and here is 50 gray, overcast, a little rainy. I love it. I love it. Sarasota, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's wonderful if it wasn't for the heat and humidity. I could do without it. That's right. Well, welcome to the South. Yes, uh, thank you. I appreciate the thought. Uh, so, how was your New Year? Doing anything special? Uh, actually, I managed to stay alive on New Year's by not going out on New Year's. You know, all of the nuts and drugs are out on New Year's, so we stay home and stay safe. <laughs> yes, we, we did. We did the professional thing. We went uh, and had uh, a house party with some friends and stayed off the road. So that's that's a good thing to do. Only the uh, unprofessional go out and drink and carry on and party. And those two million people in Times Square, boy, were they out of control. But I had, I did that once when I was 18. It's a one-time life event. That's what they say. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event. <laughs> that's correct. That's correct. Anyhow, uh, so for our first uh, show of the year, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we did uh, last uh, last week for our annual uh, wrap-up event, uh, which uh, for 2016, and uh, we talked a lot about the shows that we did all year long and some of the stories that we broke uh, for the year. Uh, we also um, uh, had some uh, interesting conversation and interesting thank yous to people who have uh, helped us and participated with us over the last uh, three years. And uh, actually, we got a, a couple of testimonials in uh, from some of our guests and friends, and uh, we'll probably be posting them on our website so you all can see that we're really doing what we're doing. That being said, uh, a couple of news items, uh, interesting ones, uh, that broke today, actually. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, Ford Motors uh, probably got blackmailed into this decision, and you can figure out who did the blackmailing. Ford decided not to open up or build their $700 million plant in Mexico. Guess where they decided to build it? Detroit, I wonder who's behind all that. I wonder, hmm, must be Mr. Trump. Probably threatened him with uh, something like, you know all those Fords that the feds drive around in? They'll be Chryslers. And uh, they, decide, they decided that maybe they'd be wiser in opening a plant in Detroit. And they have a lot of people there that are unemployed, that are from the, um, from the automotive industry who have skills, put them back to work. I think it's a great move, and I tip my hat to Ford 
foreseeing the era of their thinking. And uh, Mr. Trump, uh, you, you get one point for this one. Last night, it was uh, the GOP had a uh, sort of a secret meeting about the ethics committee. Uh, and uh, the news is reporting that they were cutting the, uh, uh, the ethics committee and taking away uh, some of their power. Uh, seems as though that, again, Mr. President-elect Trump sent out a tweet about that, and miraculously, the GOP backed off, and they are not gutting the ethics committee. So, Mr. President-elect Trump, you get another one point. Uh, Megyn Kelly, who's one of uh, Trump's favorite people, has decided to leave Fox, and she's going to NBC later on in this year. I don't know if we can attribute that to Trump or not, but he'll probably take the credit anyway. So uh, I think that we have uh, some great guests, as we usually do on the first uh, um, meeting of the month. And, uh, Tim, you want to give us some readout on that? Sure. I know that uh, we have had a sneak preview peek of the ISM number. Um, so we're going to be very excited to hear Brad Holcomb's report in just a few minutes on the ISM, a very positive report, but I don't want to steal any of that thunder. And in the second half of the show, we're going to be talking with Chris Keel, who is an economist with Armada Corporate Intelligence. We met him through the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. FMA, the president over there, is a great guy by the name of Ed Udell. So if you folks are not familiar with the FMA, we certainly would encourage you to become familiar with the FMA, great organization. They're involved with uh, Fabtech every year, as are a number of other organizations. So um, we always appreciate um, having connections to people, and we want to thank – in fact, I'm going to give a little shout-out here to Pat Lee. Pat Lee has been with uh, Fabtech and FMA for a number of years. She recently retired. She's doing some things with them. Uh, in her retirement on a part-time basis, but she was the one who introduced us to uh, Chris Keel, and Chris is terrific. If, if you're missing him on the show, you really need to tune in and listen to him. He's an economist with a sense of humor, which is uh, uh, what? refreshing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is really what? refreshing. <laughs> and he's got some great, not just insightful comments, but he's got some great uh, analogies that he makes uh, when he's doing his presentation. So we look forward to having him on the show in the second half here. And uh, with that, I think we're probably in shape now to kick off the uh, interview with uh, Brad Holcomb. So let's, uh, let's slide over and chat with Brad. With us now is Brad Holcomb, who is the committee chair with the ISM the Institute for Supply Management, and he puts together the Manufacturing Report on Business. We have Brad on the first show of every month, so he can give us an update on what is happening with the Purchasing Managers Index. That's that number that you hear. And, Brad, the number looks pretty good for this month. Well, it, it sure does. At 54.7, it's a new high for the year 2016. Uh, it's a great way to, to close the books. Uh, on the year with not just the, the highest number, uh, but a trend of growth for the last 
last uh, four consecutive months. That's been very encouraging. We're uh, having a great time. I know Lou's tickled. Uh, at least I think you're tickled about this report, Lou. Yeah, no, this is this is great report, and I've only had an hour to review it. It's, it's really terrific. Uh, you did a great job, Brad. Great job. <laughs> well, I just I just take the data and I write the report. So the, the people that did a great job are those that uh, that went to the store in December and uh, felt like. Uh, things are turning positive. Uh, the election cycle right. is over. The stock market is up, and so I'm going to buy all those presents uh, that I that I want to for my friends for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned the, the I mentioned the 54.7 being high for the year, which it is, um, but it's about two years before you can find. Fact, exactly two years, December 14, uh, that you can find a higher number, which was 54.9. And uh, so it's very nice to see that. And we've got some other great numbers as well, which we'll get to. Uh, but just at a high level, uh, new orders, production, and employment indexes also reached a new high for 2016. So, Brad, why don't you go uh, through this this great chart that you have in every report called Manufacturing at a Glance? And I certainly encourage our listeners to get a copy of this report. It's uh, instituteforsupplymanagement.org under their uh, news section. You can find it. But, Brad, go ahead and give us that Manufacturing at a, at a Glance overview of this is great data. Yes, indeed. This table uh, really represents a summary of the whole report. Uh, in terms of all of the indexes that go into the PMI and several others that we carry along the side for additional information and insights. Uh, So starting with the PMI itself, we've mentioned already that it's at 54.7. It's up one and a half points uh, from the November number of 53.2. So it indicates a direction of growing, and it's growing faster than last month and growing for four consecutive months. Um, and with that, the uh, of the 18 uh, sectors that we, that we follow, 11 of those are growing. And among the 11, we'll get to that a little bit later, are some of the largest sectors whereas six industries, uh, those being smaller, are reporting contractions. So uh, on the whole, a very good PMI uh, of 54.7. Five indexes that I'll talk about feed directly into the PMI, uh, equally weighted, uh, and that is new orders, production, employment, supplier deliveries, and inventories of raw materials. First, Uh, New orders at 60.2 is up 7.2. That's a big increase uh, from last month's number of 53 uh, and represents uh, growth in new orders for the month, this month being better than last month and growing faster for the fourth consecutive month. Next, uh, production. is at 60.3, up 4.3 percentage points uh, from 56, also growing faster for four consecutive months. And then employment uh, 
uh, at 53.1, up eight-tenths of a point from 52.3 last month, uh, also growing faster for now three consecutive months in that particular category. So as we opened up this conversation, uh, I mentioned that the PMI, New Orders, Production, Employment, which we've covered now in detail, uh, are all at new highs for the year uh, 2016. The last two uh, indexes that factor directly into the PMI are supplier deliveries and inventories. Supplier deliveries, that means deliveries of raw materials, commodities, perhaps sub-assemblies, all inputs into manufacturing, was at 52.9. That was down 2.8 percentage points from 55.7, but nevertheless uh, still slowing. And when it's slowing, we kind of like that. It's above, it's above 50. That's what slowing means. Uh, it's slowing a little bit slower, but it's slowing for eight consecutive months. And again, represents tightness in the supply chain where suppliers are having a harder time keeping up uh, with the demands of manufacturing. And, you know, we recognize that as, as a good thing. When things are tight, people are, you know, running to catch up. Uh, and uh, it's, it's all consistent with a uh, positive uh, economic environment and lots of manufacturing going on. Finally, inventories, and inventories is always something to pay particular attention to at the end of the year. It's at 47.0, down two-tenths of a point uh, from 49. It's contracting a little bit faster, and it's contracting for 18 consecutive months. Um, to go along with uh, the number 47 and the fact that uh, inventories are a little tighter, uh, we've got uh, a comment from the chemical products uh, group that we follow that's pretty typical of what companies do. And the comment is they're ramping up for year end by reducing inventories. And the CFOs love it when you can reduce inventories at year end. You close the books, Tories, and everybody's happy. Great. So, so those are the those are the indexes. Uh, all in good shape. Let me ask you a question, uh, uh, Brad. Uh, is this t is this type of movement uh, typical for the month of December, where you have uh, you know all the numbers are on the upswing? You know, not not really. If you go back to right. just last uh, last year, December of fifteen, it, it went down from. You know, 48.4 to 48. So we were kind of in the doldrums uh, at the end of 2015, and and at the start of this year, we didn't uh, get past 50 until March, and that continued for for five months. Then it dipped below uh, to 49.4 in August, covering and in positive territory from September through October, November and now a new high point in, in December. So, so it's a little bit of a finicky year. Would you, say for sake of our, would you say for the sake of our listeners that this is a very, very good sign for 2017? For a start? Well, it's, 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 
you know, it's it's a good sign for for 2017 uh, in the sense that we're setting up a trend for the last four months that each month builds on the other. From September at 51.5, it increased, it increased again and again. Uh, so, uh, yes, it it uh, would appear to be a good springboard for 2017. And if you look at just to to further support that, um, as as your audience uh, knows, we delivered on on December 8th the semi-annual forecasts. Uh, that we put out for the year ahead. And in the summary of that report, which everyone can find on the ISM website, um, revenues are expected to increase. Uh, just make sure. 4.6%, that is manufacturing revenues, expected to increase by 4.6% in 2017. Now, compare that to how we actually finished up in 2016 at uh, a very, very modest 0.9% increase in revenues. So um, that that further uh, suggests that we're, we're not only, you know, finishing 2016 strong, but we're providing uh, a great trend upward for the year ahead, you know, barring any unforeseen circumstances. Brad, I'm particularly encouraged to see among the respondents' comments, one from machinery that says, business continues to be brisk with an uptick of RFQs. Customers are earmarking funds for our magic words that we love to hear, capital equipment upgrades. That's really encouraging. Well, it it really is, and that's exactly why I put that comment in there. you know, at at year, the year end, if we we see a positive trend, then uh, chief financial officers can open up the purse strings and approve more projects. And I think that's what this particular respondent is uh, referring to. Okay. Certainly, in machinery, that's good for our uh, show sponsor, All Metals and Forge Group, because they they provide a lot of the forgings that go into a lot of machinery and. Uh, expenditures on machinery is terrific. Brad, what's the rest of the report like? I know that there are another five subcategories that you, you folks put together, and um, I'll let you kind of go through those for our listeners as well. Yeah, there's some really interesting numbers uh, in these uh, last categories as well. And uh, the categories that we'll cover in this uh, manufacturing at a glance table our customer inventories, which is inventories of finished goods, uh, prices of uh, raw materials, backlog of orders, uh, new export orders, and imports. So first, customer inventories is at 49, same as last month, and is considered too low, and it's been too low for three consecutive months. So there's a customers to, to restock and generate more new orders uh, in order to get back to, to 50 or above. So that's a good number. Um, that's about the only index that we like below 50. Um, instead of 49, a touch below 50, indicating too low. The, the next index, 
prices of raw materials is is a little bit interesting in terms of the size of the increase and also the timing. Let me try to explain. The index is at 65.5. It's up 11 percentage points from 54.5 last month. It's increasing at a faster rate and increasing for 10 consecutive months. And that follows, you know, several months, about a year and a half of declining prices. So it's a a big jump up from November to December, plus 11 percentage points. And the timing is, is rather unusual in that price increases generally uh, are, are settled in the early part of the year rather than the latter part of the year. Uh, not the case this time around. Uh, mm. So it's certainly something to, to watch. Uh, now, let me, let me refer once again to the semi-annual report that's, that's fairly fresh. In terms of uh, prices paid last year, for raw materials, we actually experienced an average decrease of 0.4 percentage points. So you could even say that that was a deflationary price year with respect to raw materials and commodities, obviously led by oil and things related to oil. Um, However, our panel uh, for 2017 is expecting an increase of 1.3% for those same uh, inputs, uh, raw materials prices. Uh, 1.3% is still a modest increase in prices, uh, and uh, this is is being set up now uh, by this number that we've seen and, and the direction that we receive over the past few months. Prices have uh, been getting a, a lot of pressure at the manufacturing level that they could not pass on, Brad, that we have seen that, you know, their, their inability to pass them on. Is what we're seeing here likely to be uh, price increases that they're uh, going to have to pass on at this point? Well, that's, that's a good question. In fact, we've got a comment from Food, Beverage, and Tobacco Products of the, of the 10 comments that I posted uh, that they flat out say they're moving into a more inflationary environment with lots of pressure to increase prices on a number of fronts. So their inputs are increasing, such as packaging. Um, In in our list of commodities up in price, we see corrugated uh, and and corrugated boxes up in price, uh, just as an example. Um, There's a lot of pressure for for then, let's say, a dairy company. If they're plastic and paper bottles or containers are going up, uh, then they are really thinking about and trying to increase the price of, you know, a quart of milk, uh, just right. to use one example. And that's often easier said than done, uh, but it's certainly the direction that they're thinking and will try to implement in order to, you know, retain or improve the margins that they've experienced. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Brad, I have a, a sort of a technical question, and I, I meant to ask you a month or so ago, and I, I, I didn't, so I'm going to ask you now. Uh, the new order numbers, does that include the new orders, or is that a separate number from new orders? 
uh, it includes new orders, uh, new export orders, I should say. Also, uh, new export orders is a subset. Uh, we don't uh, have the ability to parse out how much is export and how much is domestic, but it's safe right. to say that you know domestic is you know the large the large proportion. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm just gonna gonna guess eighty twenty, ninety ten, something like that. Right. But as right. we all know, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, you know, new export orders is up as well, and we'll get to that in a minute. Right. Um, I was gonna say, if you thought about asking me last month, I should have answered you next month. But uh, <laughs> this, uh, okay. Backlog of orders. Uh, the backlog is sort of the, the kitty of orders that have come in prior months. Uh, it's at 49.0, the same as last month, 49.0. So it is contracting, but the same uh, as last month, as I said, and it's been contracting for six consecutive months. Uh, but at 49, it's close to 50, right where it should be. Uh, and represents that queue of orders that uh, have come in uh, previously in the last, you know, two, three, four months, et cetera. And that's something that they always utilize to level production uh, with respect to, to new orders and with respect to, you know, the amount of labor and, and uh, equipment that they have on hand in any particular month. So backlog of orders is in very good shape. Uh, next, uh, imports and exports. Uh, first, new export orders, which we just uh, talked about briefly, is at 56.0, up four percentage points to 52, or from 52.0 in November, growing faster and been growing for 10 consecutive months. And I think that's really notable um, because we, we hear uh, – you know, in the, in the press that uh, the dollar is increasing, uh, the price of the dollar, uh, and and while that's true, it's not deterring our foreign customers uh, from buying our finished goods uh, materials, uh, according to our index. Um, finally, in this uh, table, uh, we list imports, and imports is imports of raw materials and sub-assemblies as inputs into manufacturing. Uh, that also affects inventories uh, in, the, in the chart. So they feed inventories, and it's at 50.5, 50.5, yes, exactly the same as last month, 50.5. Uh, imports have been growing for three consecutive months. And in both of those uh, categories, exports and imports, if I turn once again to the semi-annual report, uh, the forecast for 2017, uh, manufacturing does expect growth in both U.S. exports and U.S. imports in 2017. Well, that's okay. very, very strong. Uh, Brad, I know you're on a tight schedule today, so we won't keep you long, but in the overall, your uh, – uh, report is showing an overall economic expansion now of 91 months. That's, that's incredibly strong. Well, it is. Um, and 
as we've uh, we've been talking, we've closed the books really nicely on 2016. I think to some degree that represents the expectation for the economy going forward. Uh, I think uh, indirectly it represents uh, the uh, the fact that we're you know we're beyond the election process. Uh, there was, you know, great anticipation and who would be seated as president. Now we see, you know, one person won and the other person lost. And I think the most important thing is the uncertainty uh, uh, is is over uh, with respect to, to who won. Now, uh, and we're also, as I alluded to, watching the stock market and other indicators. Uh, but we've got to get beyond... The, the promises uh, for the economy and the new president, uh, President-elect Trump, and uh, and Washington have to deliver uh, on what they've been talking about in terms of, you know, making America great again, uh, improving the economy goes along with that. So it's going to be important uh, again to perform and deliver uh, in order for this uh, to achieve its potential. Time will tell on that move. Time will tell. That's certainly the case, and that's one of the things that Manufacturing Talk Radio is going to be following very closely in 2017. A lot of promises were made, as they always are during election cycles, and real interested in on top of what those comments were and how they're playing out. Brad, we appreciate you being with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio on the first of every month to give our listeners uh, the – Manufacturing Report on Business from the ISM. Thank you again for joining us, and Happy New Year to you. Uh, Thanks, and Happy New Year to you all and to your audience. And I would also urge everyone to look in detail at the report um, and to to find your particular industry and how your company is doing with respect to that. There's also clues in here in the commodities report, prices up, prices down. Uh, commodities and short supply as to how to execute your, your plans for the coming year. Give us your URL for our audience, uh, Brad. That's the Institute for Management.org. Okay, Brad, thanks. Thank you much. We appreciate it and have a good beginning year. Thank you so much. Take care. Stay tuned for more Manufacturing Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, 
copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're going to be speaking with Chris Keel, who is an economist who joins us. He helps put together the Credit Manager's Index Report. Chris, Happy New Year to you, sir. Well, Happy New Year to you. What was that? Hi, Lou. How are you? Good, good. Very good. Just wanted to squeeze my little comment in there. There you go. <laughs> Well, Chris, we're going to hope that you're not the um, harbinger of gloom and doom this report because the ISM report was so positive. (laughs) I never gloom and doom. I I just report what the rest of the world is saying, and I'm just hoping that the economy starts this year better than I have because I just started it with a root canal. Um, So so if if I sound a little slurry, uh, it has nothing to do with, over celebrating for the new year. <laughs> so wow. just, don't, just don't drool into the microphone. Yeah, I, I, we're just going <laughs> to pretend this is not an omen. So. Okay. That's a tough way to start the year, but how is yeah, the credit manager's sure. index report looking? Well, it, it's looking much better. It's not looking like a root canal. Uh, and <laughs> and we're, we're seeing a lot of the same kinds of trends that Brad was talking about. Um, We've been a little bit more up and down over the last several months, and I think that it reflects a little bit that we're dealing with a fairly service sector-heavy part of the the credit manager's index. We break it down between both manufacturing and service. And if you look at the overall CMI scores, it's been a little bit more erratic uh, through the course of the last year. But it ended very strong, and it ended in some really good categories. I mean, there are some that matter more than others, and a couple that stood out is that there were a lot more applications for credit, and there were a lot more applications being accepted. Um, We sometimes get lots of applications and lots of rejections, and that generally suggests that you've got people who are desperately trying to find credit and are not getting it. Now we're seeing a pretty good match between those who are looking for credit and people willing to give them credit. And that reflects, I think, the fact that people are gearing up for the coming year. Uh, They're buying more machinery. Um, This time of year, it's not really inventory that is causing the request for credit. It's generally machinery, capital goods, things like that, because the, the time for loading up for inventory was two or three months ago. So when you're talking about um, asking for more credit for machinery and this time of the year, does that occur on an annual basis where uh, machinery purchases tend to be in the first quarter of the year? You tend to get a little bit of a bump uh, towards the first of the year. Part of this is due to the fact that a lot of people have their fiscal years coincide with the calendar year. You also have certain tax advantages that come and go uh, at this time of year. They expire or they start up. And I think also, to Brad's point, uh, what was a a factor this year was that the election finally, blessedly, was over. And we could start muttering under our breasts instead of screaming at each other on Facebook. So 
Uh, I see that consumer confidence is uh, at a high that we haven't seen in a decade. Uh, is that going to be tempered 90 days from now? Yeah, probably, because what we normally see is very low consumer confidence right before the election. People are just so sick of it, they can't stand it, so they're in a bad mood, period. <clears throat> and then the election is finally over, and they discover that it's safe to watch used car commercials on TV now. Um, instead of nothing but political ads. So their confidence level goes up, and you tend to get a kind of a bump whenever there's change in administration. Whether people were wildly enthusiastic about Trump or the GOP, there's just a sense that it's going to be different. And if they weren't happy with where it was before, all they're counting on right now is at least it'll be different. Um, I don't know if it'll be better I don't know if it'll be worse. It'll be different. 90 days from now, 120 days from now, it's not going to be that different. And people are going to say, well, what did I just do? What's the point of all that? And we go back into a little bit of a funk unless we start to see some of those promises come to fruition, as Brad was pointing out. I mean, there's there's good news at this point, at least in the atmospherics. We're talking about more infrastructure spending. We're talking about reforming regulation. We're talking about changes in the tax code. Those, however, are very hard to actually accomplish. And we've been talking about infrastructure and regulation now for a decade, and there's not been all that much change. Well, it seems as though uh, President-elect uh, Trump is using um, his uh, power of the fact that he owes nobody nothing, that he can uh, twist arms uh, with impunity. Um, well, in, in some respects that's true, but in other respects no one owes him anything either. Uh, and that's kind of the currency of politics is that, you need to have advantages going in both directions. And right now it's kind of a clean slate. People are going to have to figure out what they can and can't expect uh, from a new president, which would happen in regardless of who it was. I think one of the great challenges is going to be establishing his international reputation. A lot of countries don't have much of an appeal for him yet. Uh, he's going to be busy. I think, trying to reassure some and, and scare others. And some of the things that he's doing is kind of going back to patterns we've seen in the past. There's an awful lot thus far that look more like Reagan economics than anything else. And for a lot of people, that's a good sign. I mean, he's bringing back a lot of Reagan-era politicians and leaders. Um, a lot of the statements have a little bit of that, that orientation. And I think that that the more that becomes obvious, I think some people will begin to relax in the sense that, well, we've been here before. It worked pretty well back then. Maybe it'll work again. It came out today that uh, Ford um, decided to not build their $700 million plant in Mexico and open it in Detroit. Uh, mm -hmm. It seems as though that Trump had something to do with that. Well, and I wouldn't I wouldn't give a whole lot of credence to that because, you know, Ford and the other companies have all been pointing out that, hey, come on, guys, we know how corporate decisions are made, and they're not turned around on a dime. Um, most of the word that's coming out of the auto industry is 
we've been lending ourselves that way for a while. I mean, you know, Mexico has been a great manufacturing platform for some companies for a period of time. But after a while, you begin to run into the problems that you anticipated. Some of them were solvable, some aren't. And Ford has been pointing out that, hey, you know, we've been making cars in the U.S. a long time. You know, people have accused us of taking things out of the country. We we don't as much as many car companies do. You know, I think that we're we're looking at something even deeper than than Trump's putting pressure on people. And I think that's good for the economy. Detroit has become more competitive, and Mexico has become less competitive. If you look at the research that's coming out of CAR, the Center for Automotive Research, these companies don't sit on their laurels. I mean, they look at this and say, well, what do we have to do to make our operations in the U.S. more competitive? And it's significant that where Ford is putting its emphasis, there's more robotics, more automation. You know, that's how the U.S. manufacturer has been regaining their competitiveness for the last several years. And that will continue. And the more that we go that route, well, the less advantage there is to moving to Mexico or anywhere else for that matter. That is true. That is true. Well, Chris, I think even that is seen in China where Cho Tak Wong has decided to build a factory in Ohio Mm -hmm. where he thinks it will be less expensive than China. Are China labor rates or costs going up that dramatically to yeah, they really are. Here? Wow. They, they really are. I mean, the rates have gone up to a point where they're still much cheaper than they are here, but then you start adding in all the other expenses. The most notable, of course, is transportation. I mean, whatever you make in China has to be shipped overseas, and there's the shipping cost of ocean cargo, there's the port fees, there's <laughs> getting things to the cross, I mean, all that kind of stuff adds up, and it becomes more effective to do it closer to your market. And I think that that ultimately what drives companies to be in the U.S. is that we've now entered the period of mass customization. We've been there for a while. The consumer wants very responsive manufacturing. And the further away you are from that consumer, the harder it is to be responsive. So companies are trying to get closer to their market and that means relocating. And then as the U.S. becomes more competitive through technology and maybe now through tax changes and regulatory changes and banking changes, there are a lot of things that we could do uh, that would make the U.S. company more more able to deal with international competition uh, fairly. I mean, if you look at the trade people that, that Trump is selecting, they're not really anti-trade. They're just looking at trade less as a geopolitical thing and more economically. The new trade representative was deputy trade representative under Reagan and was very instrumental in kind of backing Japan down and can be expected to do the same thing with China. And we're just getting a little different focus on on what trade should be. Chris, I want to chat with you just for a moment and get your views on this mass customization. I know that we hear a lot about it. What does it really mean for the American consumer? Well, what it basically boils down to is that you're getting pretty much precisely what you want. I mean, the consumer is getting a certain amount of it, but it's even more obvious at the business level. 
you know, you talk to a machine tool operator, builder 20, 30 years ago, you know, they built what they built and you bought it. And, and that was kind of the end of the story. And as I go to Fabtech and all these other conferences, the ultimate buyer is sitting down with the machine tool maker and says, I want it to do this and I want it to do that and I want it to do this and it has to face that direction. And and it's nothing but yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. I will make that machine to fit exactly what you want it to do. And and I think that that's, that's part of this mass customization. You're seeing it in the auto sector. You know, I mean, we're not all going to go quite this far, but I forget which model of Toyota you could actually watch being painted on your Internet connection. And if you didn't like <laughs> the paint, you could back it up and paint it a different color. So that was kind of gimmicky, but you begin to look at all the options that you can select. It's almost becoming like technology itself. I mean, when you select a computer, you're choosing every little thing that's in it and choosing it so that it fits what you want to do with it. And I think that that's, that's something that technology has allowed us to do, and now we expect it. Well, I'm curious uh, how far down, and you, you just gave some terrific examples uh, to the you know the consumer that becomes, uh, and it looks like the consumer is likely to be able to customize a great many things, particularly with you know, the advent of 3D printing and all of these kinds mm-hmm. of things. So we'll we'll certainly no, watch I, I that. think it's I think it's it's really going to be one of the big coming trends is that people will be able to do the kind of customization that used to be very, very expensive. They could always do it, but it was going to take them a long time, and it was going to cost a lot of money, and now it's just it's kind of matter of course because you're not talking about, well, you know the old manufacturing. It would take you weeks to change out the, the settings and change the dye and change the tooling, and now this is all being done on the fly with technology, and it's like, yeah, whatever, um, I can change it any day if you want me to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We certainly have seen that at Fabtech in terms of, you know, one small example was uh, powder coating, where they can uh, powder coat a, uh, a KitchenAid uh, mixer uh, red, and then the very next one can be blue, and the one after that's orange. So mm-hmm, it's amazing mm-hmm. what, what you're seeing in fabrication. Oh, I uh, know, and, and, it, and it goes beyond just cosmetic. It gets to the point where, you're now seeing, you know, people adjusting machines to the size of the person that will be using it. Now, if we can get the airlines to adjust the seats, that would be <laughs> that would be something to be noted for. Yes, comfort on a plane again. Gosh, we haven't seen that since the 70s. I don't think. <laughs> no, my my only my only hope at this point is that FedEx takes over passenger travel and at least we get a nice comfortable envelope. On another on another note, which uh, based on today's data that came out from ISM, it seems as though that the dollar is soaring today, uh, based yeah, on the manufacturing. So, what what does that what does that mean for us? It's not a good thing for those who are counting on exports. Exports still make up about 14% of our GDP. Uh, To put that in perspective, it's 14.7% of Japan's. So we're literally about as export-dependent as Japan. 
it's going to affect companies who are trying to sell overseas. It's going to be a bonus for anyone who's importing anything. So if you're bringing in industrial metals, if you're bringing in anything that's coming from elsewhere, it's going to be cheaper. That's going to be a bit of a challenge for some manufacturers. Right now, there's tremendous demand for things coming out of Great Britain because the pound has just collapsed. It's against the dollar and against the euro. Agriculture is going to feel it probably more than almost any sector, uh, given that most of what is grown here is exported, uh, and it's hard to differentiate. You know, corn from the U.S. is not that different from corn from Australia, except that now it's expensive. And that's going to play a bigger and bigger role uh, through the year because the dollar is being driven by the Fed raising rates a little bit, but mostly it's because there's so much foreign money coming into our stock market because there's no options elsewhere. I mean, if you're a German or French or Italian investor, there's not much of an opportunity in Europe. There's plenty here, and so people are getting a hold of dollars so that they can invest in the U.S. Uh, I'm just curious, Chris, in terms of one of the subjects that we always uh, chat about on Manufacturing Talk Radio, and that's the skill gap. I'm wondering mm-hmm. when that begins to level out over the course of the next half decade or a decade. I don't see it happening in 2017, but no, no, no. I think Yeah, I think it's going to get much worse before it gets better because what you're dealing with now is the majority of the people who have the skills that manufacturers need are the boomer generation. They're the older workers that they have. And we're seeing people retire at the rate of 10,000 a day. So it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. One of the promising discussions, uh, but it's not an instantaneous change, is that it appears that the Trump administration, the education people within it, are going to be putting a lot more emphasis on community colleges than on the traditional four-year university. And this is happening at the state level, too. And that's the secret to rebuilding the manufacturing workforce. You know, we're not going to get manufacturing workers from the university system. We're going to get them from the community colleges, from the trade schools. And those institutions have always struggled to get their fair share of federal money it now looks like they might start getting more than their fair share, and, and that would be a real boon. But, again, it's not instantaneous. I mean, if somebody started today, you know, we're still waiting two years at least for them to be graduated and in the workforce. And it looks like uh, K through 12 is also going to be uh, affected with the new uh, education secretary who right. favors uh, charters and uh, you know, being able to have uh, free movement between schools, which I right. personally think is a good thing. But I, I yeah, hope that helps. Yeah, and I hope that the charter schools and the and the other alternatives are in a position to do what the public schools have been unable to do. I mean, if you look at the decline in industrial arts and all those kinds of, it's mostly because the schools don't have the money to keep up. I mean, you know, when I took shop back in the 1300s. I mean, you know, it was a shop <laughs> class if you had a drill press and a lathe someplace. Well, now, you know, in order for it to be of any use at all, it has to be technologically up to speed, and schools can't afford it, so they began to drop it. And at some point, we're going to have to do more business school partnership. In my own community, for example, 
in Kansas City. The Harley-Davidson operation here has a cooperative program with the local community college where they buy their machines so that as people are being trained to work for Harley, they're training on the state of the art. And then these machines are also shared with the local high schools. So it's going to have to be a complex dance where you get the business sector and the schools and government all moving in the same direction. And that last happened, I think, in about 880 during the Black Death or something like that. So. <laughs> yes, it, it has not been recent. Uh, no. We have, we've had to, uh, the opportunity to chat with the New Jersey Institute of Technology on many occasions and be at some of their events. And they have a, a part of the university that's actually a manufacturing factory where they have in the latest mm-hmm. machines and really are training up students on the on the latest stuff. Uh, and you, you're right. We're hearing more and more about it from manufacturers who are trying to partner right. with the local school to find and train talent. Think it's the right solution. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's the thing that we, we sort of, as manufacturers, we missed what happened in the other professional schools. I mean, law firms talk to law schools about what they want. Accounting firms talk to accounting majors about what they want. Doctors don't get trained in a vacuum. You know, the medical profession says this is what you need to know. Manufacturers for years have kind of sat on the sidelines and said, well, gosh, I sure hope those people over at Tech U know how to teach people how to weld. Like, no, they don't. Uh, You need to get over there and show them. So, Right, right. So in terms of one of uh, Trump's predictions for GDP, and, of course, he's touting uh, a number north, well north of 3.0, what do you think it's going to be in 2017? Are we going to be in the twos, or are we going to somehow eke into the threes? You know, I think we'll be in the high twos. I'm not as enthusiastic as some. I don't see us maintaining consistently through the year over 3%. I think we will probably start a little bit slowly we have for the last several years, and that's partly a factor of timing and weather, and it's just kind of the nature of the first quarter. First quarter will be weak, then second quarter a little less weak, and then we come back to life in the third quarter and finish usually pretty strong in the fourth. So I think we'll have that same pattern. This year, going up into the fourth quarter, we were at about 1.7%, which is not great. With a decent fourth quarter, I think we'll be in the mid-twos, and I think that's probably where we're going to be in uh, the coming year. So as a manufacturer, would you be recommending to go out and buy equipment? Probably. I mean, the timing is is kind of a mixture of things. I mean, it's everything from what do you think your customers are going to do But it's also going to have to do with pricing. And given that we know that interest rates are going to be headed up a little bit, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe three times, given the fact that the dollar is strong, given all of these kind of extraneous factors, pricing is unlikely to get any better than it is now, and it may get worse. Uh, It may become more expensive later in the year. So if, if you anticipate that you're going to need it within the next year or two, uh, now may be the best buying opportunity. When you look at your customer base, then again, it depends on on who your customer is. If you sell into agriculture, 
this is not going to be a good year. You're not going to have a lot of business from the deers and the cases of the world. If you're selling into automotive, it's going to be a decent year, but it's not going to be the record setter that it was a couple of years ago. On the other hand, you will see growth in the medical side. You're going to see growth probably in kind of the consumer food service type sector. A lot of stainless gets used in that area. Um, probably some expansion in aerospace um, as as these airlines begin to react to a recovering economy. I'm not sure if we didn't just uh, lose Chris there for a moment. For a moment nope, I'm little. still here. Oh, I'm good. Still okay. Here. Nope. Okay, good. Uh, well, Chris, we certainly appreciate you being on Manufacturing Talk Radio and talking us through some of the economic issues that uh, are cropping up and how they uh, portend for manufacturers looking forward. Uh, a happy new year to you and uh, your family and uh, all the folks around you that you work with. We're certainly grateful for you to be on Manufacturing Talk Radio with us. Very good. Well, I'll talk to you guys next time. All righty. You have all a good right. beginning. Thank care. you. Bye-bye. And that was Chris Keel with Armada Corporate Intelligence, a terrifically bright guy. I don't think there's ever been a, cr- a question that we threw Lou at to Chris that stumped him, that I recall. No, if, uh, he always has an answer, even if the answer is unless. That's <laughs> right. one, one of his famous comments that uh, I think you and I have used a couple of times, so we probably owe him some copyright uh, funds. Yeah, we probably do. Uh, he is at the FMA conference at Fabtech every year. So if anybody wants to see him live and in person, I suggest you guys at the conference. He, he does a uh, economic update for them, which is really terrific, and you'll you'll get the shtick of the unless <laughs> pretty quickly. <laughs> well, Lou, that wraps us up for this edition of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We certainly encourage our listeners to go to mftalkradio.com to get to any of the podcasts that we've done over the last three years. We know that they've been downloaded something nearing 400,000 times, even back to our very first shows in 2013. So it's been a great library of information under previous shows that you can find there. We also put up some current news articles every day just to keep everyone abreast of the news. And we're expanding more into new areas in 2017. Some of those we'll announce very shortly. So stay tuned to Manufacturing Talk Radio, and we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.